Welcome to the Female Founder Friday podcast, a collection of inspiring conversations with the most interesting female entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm your host, Lindsay White, and together with my incredible guests, we'll explore the struggles of being a female entrepreneur, the most important lessons, and the future of women leaders in business. And I'm passionate about helping female entrepreneurs become the calm, confident leader their team and their business really need. That's why I've recently launched my six-week mental fitness bootcamp. This amazing program will help you tackle your inner critic, tame your saboteurs, tap into your sage inner voice, and really increase your positive intelligence. With a combination of daily practice in the custom app, a weekly focus to increase your awareness, and regular group coaching sessions led by me, you'll build the mental muscles you need to quickly overcome the changes and challenges you're facing right now. If you're ready to transform your leadership and your life, connect with me to learn more at highvoltageleadership.ca. My guest on this week's episode is Chris Intris. Chris is the founder and CEO of Rock Springs Retreat Center in Castilian Springs, Tennessee. And as a former CEO of a global luxury hotel brand, this lady really knows how to create an amazing guest experience. Chris started her entrepreneurial journey really early, taking over her brother's paper route when she was just a kid. But from that moment on, she's never looked back and her career has been so interesting and varied. From serving in the US military to working in the movie and theater industries, building healthcare businesses and leading high powered sales teams, this woman has done it all. But it was really her parents' ongoing battle with obesity and ultimately her mother's passing that caused Chris to really stop and reconsider where she was directing all of her talents and energy. And that's why she created the Fit Farm at Rock Springs as a place where everyone could experience eating well, being active, and really bringing that natural beauty and eliminating the noise around us that distracts us every day. Chris has such an incredible story. She's lived such a marvelous life and had such an interesting career. I know that you're going to love at this conversation and get a lot from listening to it. Awesome. Welcome to the Female Founder Friday podcast. I have with me today, Chris Interest, and she has a really incredible story to tell us. She's had such an interesting journey, and I am so glad uh, she's here to be a part of the show. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be uh, talking with you today. So. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad we could get it all figured out. We were having we were having some technical difficulties. It's a Monday. We're recording this on a Monday, even though we're coming to you on a Friday. And man, the Mondays got to our tech today, didn't it, Chris? It did, you know. And I and I kind of mentioned the the joke in the room is I used to own a technology company, so you know, don't call me when you're when you need help with your phone. Maybe with your code, but not your phone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to really, I mean, I know a little bit about your story, but I'm excited to really dig into it today. So tell us, how did you come to be a female founder? What's, what's the story? You know, I think that um, all stories go back a long ways. I, I think I was always the unique child that my mother tried to harness. My mother was a therapist, so bless her heart. She had the patience, but um you know, I think from like earliest day on, I asked a lot of questions, you know, about everything to the point where I couldn't figure out how humans function. So I was, I was 
adamant that our umbilical cord or our little belly button got plugged in at night, you know? So I was always searching for, for the answers or understanding. And I think fundamentally that drove me to being kind of an entrepreneur, right? You know, I, my brother and I are, are, you know, extremely close at this point, but you know, when he was young, we're very different human beings. Amazing how two parents can create so extreme differences, but um, he had a paper route and I was three years younger and I just liked earning money. So even though I was underage, I took over his paper route because he's like, okay, I can sit home and watch cartoons and you go and do the work. Um, you know, so from very early on, I enjoyed the process of understanding, making money, but not for the sake of making money, but for the sake of understanding that you could do more in life and help more people fundamentally when, when you have that that ability, you know, so, you know, I left home at 16. I was one of those unique stories of why not the world is big. Let's go explore it. I came from a very small town <laughs> and um, moved out and moved to Minneapolis and kind of started the journey. I ended up in a multi-level marketing company. I had no idea what that meant other than the ads that are you athletic and motivated and, you know, X, Y, Z. And quickly, I had no idea I was great at sales, even though I enjoyed that process. I didn't know what it meant. And I ended up being ranked number three in the country within about two weeks. And next thing you know, I opened an office and had 50 employees. And, uh, wow. you know, my biggest fear was they would find out how old I was, clearly. Um, but, you know, it became this journey of understanding that, you know, inspiring people and motivating people really comes with a respect of, of what they do. And why I say that is, I was almost too good at my job and I could get people to quit their job being inspired that they could do this. And I saw the power of leadership can also be very, um, you know, mishandled. It could be very dangerous. Right. So I changed the whole format of the company to better adjust to not falling into that realm. So again, being creative was another big avenue of that, you know, so I, I had many, many journeys along the way. I, ended up joining the military because I think I just needed a break from reality. And they say, if you put your clothes on right and you march forward and, you know, you do all the right things, you're not just a good soldier, you're a great soldier. And so that was one of the biggest lessons I had with as a female leader. Um, you know, when you show up at basic, they're looking for one top soldier in the, um, the company, that's yeah. three, 400 people. And, you know, so it's well-rounded athletic, you know, intellectual app, you know, aptitude, so forth. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm competing with three, 400 women. This is going to be tough. Yeah. And what it really came down to is I think I was competing with 10 people. People didn't want to be leaders. They, uh -huh. they wanted to hide in the corner and not have responsibility. Right. And so to me, that was a massive lesson, right? You know, as a female leader, you're like, wow, there's not a lot of us out there that want to step forward and take that risk. And, um, you know, and there was also a lot of humility, you know, I, as you lead people, you recognize what you say is very powerful. And I, there were a couple of instances where yeah, I had to throw myself under the bus. I was human. And that just catapulted me even further because I wasn't afraid of being wrong. I wasn't afraid of saying I screwed up. And, and instead of people walking away from me wanting to be in charge of the unit, they followed me even more immensely, right? And so yeah. I had great lessons at a young age. Um, you know, and then I, uh, I ended up overseas. I, I went over to study the healthcare system for a couple of weeks because I, you know, studied pharmacy and, um, you know, ended up with a baby. You know, I don't know how that happens in Scotland, you know, but, uh, but um, I ended up not knowing what to do. I opened up restaurants and nightclubs because I could do that and I had the past experience. 
And that was my life lesson in international business. You know, what works in America definitely doesn't work in Scotland. And yeah. it was very humbling, you know. And so even though I was still relatively young, I, I, I was whiplashed on how different the rules of engagement are, how different people perceive it, how Americans are perceived, um, how entrepreneurs are perceived. You know, who are you to think that you're better than we are, as in general, as an entrepreneur, not an American? Because it was almost this common, for all in pain together, it's okay. Um, and, you know, so my kid was only two weeks old and I flew him back to America saying, it's the best place in the world, right? Dreams are possible. Anything you set your mind to, we can succeed at. And so I uh, ended up going back to undergrad and, and completed very quickly in two years. And um, again, following your dreams, I ended up being nominated and went off to a national competition for acting. Take my word, I had no interest in acting, but um, <laughs> I, you know, I was in college and I had to take one blow off class. So I took acting thinking, ah, one day I might need stage presence. And, um, and a casting director found me at the competition. And next week I was flying to LA and auditioning wow. for a movie. And, you know, and so, so even though I had an amazing job lined up in Chicago and pharmaceutical sales, I said, ah, life is short. All right, here's an opportunity. Doors open. Wow. So I moved to LA two weeks and um, started production companies. And, uh, but I ended up ultimately falling back into my passion of healthcare partially because I wanted to be in control of my life. So I was running a cardiac health care company out in LA and I quickly understood the power of knowledge is also the power of confidence. And, um, and, and that's all blended together. Even though everybody can tell you you're smart enough, you don't need to go to grad school. I felt obligated to my employees. I felt obligated to my journey that the more tools I can put in the box, the better off I am. So I um, I applied to many places and checked out Harvard and a couple of them, but I fell in love with Kellogg because it was very much about team. And, um, and to me, the inspirational leadership is team. And yeah. so that was, you know, extremely important to them. So, you know, from there, I started an entrepreneurial club, which was super unheard of. And uh, especially in the executive program, because, you know, we were all sent by large companies. We're all C-suite. And so why would you be an entrepreneur? And um, some of my closest friends uh, 15 years later started from that club. About 250 people showed up the day I started it. And from there is how I had my partners that I went and bought a technology company, a hotel technology company. I knew nothing about hotels and I knew nothing about technology, um, but why not? And um, so I bought up both my partners two years later and grew it from 700 hotels to 7,000 internationally and um, sold it. And the company that purchased my company, it was a roll-up, um, had no uh, insight to this, but they flew me to London for a meeting. And next thing you know, they were like, well, we want you to run this international company. And wow. you know, they showed me the job description and it said six languages. And I said, I'm still working on English. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so ended up taking over an international hotel company, which you know we were in 65 countries with 35 offices. And and um, it was a crash course in tax code in 35 countries. And I wish that I'm not my worst enemy. And, um, and then, you know, to end the story, I was traveling and loved the organization, um, was actually considering buying the company. And my mom fell uh, ill with terminal cancer. And wow. I've been blessed my whole life. I've done very well. I've had my ups and downs, but I was able to take that into consideration and resigned and said, it's more important to take care of my mom. And, um, 
And so in that process, uh, my mom was great at telling people how to better their life, except for doing it for herself, which we're right. all hypocrites when it comes to that. Right. And um, so I went up to a fitness place for four weeks and um, kind of just got my, I had to get my own energy back up to go take care of my mom. I had to take care of myself first before I could be good for her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so I, I was very moved by this experience. There were a lot of people that just, need to be re-engaged, reset, kind of find their path again. And sometimes that's through fitness and sometimes it's through different things. And I came back and um, about four weeks later, she passed unexpectedly. It was supposed to be a, a year or two. And um, so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Yeah. So I said, I, you know, it, you, you now you have to ask yourself, right? Like, what do you want to do? And um, I was so inspired by the experience. And I said, you know, my background is healthcare. My background is hospitality. I can do this. Yeah. Um, so I went and as usual, I, I do what everybody tells me not to do. And um, so I went and started a fitness retreat and here we are now. So it's a very long drawn out, but many years of, it, it's always a journey how you get to where you are. So. Oh, you know what? It so is Chris. And that is exactly why I started this podcast because every single one of these incredible female founders that I am friends with that are in my network that I connect with like yourself always have the most remarkable story. Right. And, and that is what I think is super interesting and makes them the incredible businesswoman that they are. And, and your story is, is no exception. It is diverse. It is interesting. It is eclectic. I mean, you have literally done a little bit of everything, which I think is what makes you so interesting to speak with today. Um, and I love how it's just been this beautiful winding road for you, um, but that everything is just cumulative um, until today where you have combined all of these skill sets, leadership, your experience in healthcare, hospitality, you know, how you connect with people all into this fitness retreat and, and building on that personal experience of yours. I just think that's really powerful. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think the thing that's interesting, because this is very different than a lot of podcasts or, or speaking engagements. I've had some women leadership around the world that I speak to, but I think it's also keeping it down to a real level. I mean, I am one of those stories. Yeah. I left at 16 for lots of different reasons, right? Which, you know, it doesn't need to be spoken to on, on this particular program, but, yeah. but, you know, a little bit of that me too, like it strengthens you in your own course. But I lived out of my car for a couple of months, right? I was a single mom raising a child and went back to undergrad and grad. And I lived in places I didn't know a human being, you know, so creating those support systems. And I think as women, you know, we hold so much together. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think we're afraid to let people know it was tough. It is tough. Yeah. But, you know, my mom used to say the only thing in life that's final is death. Even taxes, if you try really hard, you can outrun them for a while. <laughs> but, yes. you know. Yeah. So I think sometimes we forget to make sure we let people know it's okay. It's not always easy. It's, yeah. it's knowing that there isn't another day and that um, fundamentally, as long as you keep moving forward or falling forward, you're getting closer to your goal. I think the only reason I'm not successful is I just don't quit. Right. Yeah. When it gets really, really hard, a lot of people start things. Not a lot of people finish things. And so you know, it's, I, I think, especially for women, we go through a lot of trials and tribulations and we have hard choices we make along the way that we keep very close to our, 
lapel, you know, like, yeah. can I do this as a single parent? Can I, you know, get through these things? So, yeah, I love that. I, I love, um, and you're right. It is, um, it is the willingness to talk about our journeys and the things where we found incredible success, the situations where we've struggled um, and how we found the strength to overcome, I think is universal. I think it's also incredibly impactful because anyone that's listening to the story that you have just told can identify with some space in your journey, right? Whether they are there the same space now or they're in, right? Like it's, um, it's really something that we can all connect to. And like I said, that's why I wanted to start this podcast. Cause I, I thought that was really important and it wasn't being told. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, as women, we pull each other together and we pull each other up as long as that's what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes when you've gotten there, you're afraid to let people know that the challenge is real because yeah. people want to be inspired by all your success. Um, and not be frightened by sometimes the, the dark moments. Right? And those dark moments are, you only know how hard it is as compared to the hardest experience you've had. There's not much that can scare me, Lindsay. Bring it on, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. But that, you know what? That's a, I think it's an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, if I'm not mistaken, something about women are like tea bags. You only know how strong they are when they're in hot water. And I really, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but I really love that because that's the truth. You don't, you really don't come to understand your own strength until you are in the middle of the mess, until you are in those dark times, as you have said. And certainly, Chris, your strength speaks volumes through this um, incredible journey of yours. Um, so I want to ask you, because, I, and I'm sure you probably have a thousand different answers to this, but you know, where can you, and one, one may not be, one may asking a lot, where have you messed up or made mistakes or, or had those moments? And what did you learn, uh, Chris, you know, can you identify one that stands out in your head? Um, you know, there's 365 days in a year and I'm pretty good at making a mistake at least every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think for me, I, you know, I made a mistake when I was in the army. I had told a group of girls, whatever you do, stay strong. They're having a pizza party upstairs. We are the best platoon. Don't give in. Yeah. And somehow I found myself on the floor because the, the drill sergeant called me up there and I didn't eat any pizza. I didn't, I didn't break the rules, but I was up there. And one of the platoon, my, my co colleagues or one of the other soldiers came up looking for me and saw me in there. And the next day it was silent in front of them right it was just this silence of how could you what a hypocrite you know and I stepped back into the platoon and I said I don't deserve to lead you it doesn't matter if you believe or don't believe what I said I asked you to do something and and your interpretation is I didn't and it was so hard it was a moment of going how do you breathe again you had all these people believing in you and even if it's it you know because it's all vantage point I knew my truth but it didn't matter Right. So you could either fight for your truth or you could accept that sometimes you're going to be viewed as having been made those mistakes, you know, and it was it was a big struggle at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. I had mistakes where um, I speak up way too much. Brian probably knows this, but uh, ah. my, anybody that knows me, I speak up way too much. And that doesn't always benefit you. You know, I mean, my brother would always say to me, you would never have been a life from the military. He ended up being a general. And he's like, because your opinion is so strong. And so often we're not prepared for those opinions. And so it's the cautionary tale of how and when 
and yeah. what those opinions are, you know, and you can't, you can't take them back, but you can learn from them. I think, um, I had one of the biggest lessons I had is I sent an email to someone and, you know, amazingly, it always finds its way back to exactly where you don't want it. So that will never happen again. Right. Um, you know, so being very cautious about what you put out into the world, be it text, be it email, be it in any source, you have to assume it's going to surface again. Right. And, and until you have the lesson, you don't realize how powerful that lesson is. Right. Um, that was a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you, I think it's I was, true though, when you use words, words and actions, right. Um, when you, when you put that and you, when you say those, that, those words, or you do that thing, you can't take it back. You can apologize. You can correct your behavior. You can say sorry for that email that didn't sound right. But the truth is, once the words are spoken, um, they, they, they live forever. So you're right. You have they to do. choose your words and actions very carefully. Be thoughtful about that stuff, right? So the, the biggest lesson I had with all my senior management and anybody I ever influenced forward is always write the email. It's cathartic. Always write it. Send it to yourself. Yeah. Because if you don't write it or you don't speak your truth, it's not, it's not going to end well. I'll guarantee you. Right. So, so don't not do the cathartic behavior you need to do, but make sure that you're responsible on what you do with that. Right. And so, you know, there's some elements of not necessarily like, don't speak your mind. I teach crucial conversations all over the world. Best book I've ever read. It's the most impactful book, especially for women, I think. Um, and I'm very passionate about it. Right. And so, there's a lot of truth in being how we communicate and how we say it. One of my biggest lessons was my mom was my person and I didn't realize how much she was my person. I was recently uh, working with a large organization, um, you know, and I'll say it, it was best question. They asked me to come back and run world again. And I realized part of what made me such a strong leader, I had my mother as my filter. I could do, my email didn't have to be sent to me. My email or my filter was my mother and it was a safe place. And when that's taken away or stripped away, sometimes you, you realize that diminished my, my ability to be a good leader. It was a very uh, hard awakening to recognize I've got to course correct, right? Just because I had that for most of my life, I didn't realize how important it was in my life. So always finding that person that zero judgment that doesn't work with you, that isn't in the circle of putting them in jeopardy in case they're asked, hey, what did Chris say? Or what did somebody say? I think that's really important as we grow. And the higher up you get, the more lonely it is. And yeah. the higher up you get, the more important it is that you really do think about how you methodically answer questions, go into scenarios, and um, just your facial expressions, right? I mean, yeah. so some good lessons in, you know, in the last, especially the last couple of years of how powerful those people around us and, and having the dialogue with them. You're my person, you know, it's my trust. Yeah. I, you know what, I think that that's a really lovely point is that you do need, I think every single one of us. And I, I and the truth is, I think we can all imagine, you know, call to call to mind that these people that clearly don't have um, that individual in their life that tells them the truth, that speaks to them with, you know, unvarnished feedback, right? We all truly need to have uh, someone who is that filter. And you're right. If we don't lose that, it's kind of like we don't have the right settings on our compass, Chris, because yeah. 
um, you know, we, we do, we start to lose our way. So whether like for many of my clients, it's, you know, it's having a great coach, right? Someone who sees you for who you truly are and says, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to stroke your ego. I'm here to help you find the truth and find your way. And I'm here to ask you the questions that you actually don't want to answer. Right. And you're right. right. The higher up you get, you know, whether it's in your own organization and you're the CEO or in your, in the C-suite of a global, you know, international company, you've got to have those people around you that, that, you know, that will not, they won't let you get away with the BS. Right. I mean, that's, exactly. we all try it. We, we're all human. Uh, you have to embrace it. You have to run at yeah. it because yeah. they're not going to show up at the Domino's pizza delivery, right? That guy is not, or that girl is not going to be the person that's your sounding board. No. So however you do it. And, and again, like you said, it's not necessarily a mentor. It's the person that holds you to your craft. Right. And so that it's a fundamental shift in your brain of, and I've never felt the need to be right. That's like never my argument. I challenge people to want to understand, but I don't need to be right. And I think that's a fundamental difference. A lot of times with women and men, when there's a confidence, we like to make the pie bigger before we cut the pie. We want to get as much, you know, on the table before we start negotiating. At least that's the experience I've had with really amazing leaders, right? right. I think you're right. But I do think, I take your point, Chris, which is strong women like you and I who have strong opinions, strong thoughts, we're pretty smart individuals. We absolutely need someone to hold us to account, right? Um, And I know that I've learned in my world um, that because uh, I'm like you, I'm strong, I'm opinionated, I've got a big voice, and I, I'm not afraid to use it. But I've also been challenged in the past to be very conscious that not everyone has that big voice and is forward, and is opinionated, and that I actually need to take a step back and make space for these other people to have opinions, to have thoughts, to bring, you know, to step into their leadership a little bit. And that is something that you, you know, women like you and I, we don't necessarily do it on purpose. We're not trying to take over, we're not trying to be right. Um, but we do, we take up a lot of space, don't we? Well, and it's, it's an awesome point, right, Lindsay? And so because of Crucial Conversations, I teach a lot about, like I loved when I was in a board meeting and my introverts weren't speaking and I would stop the meeting and I'd hand out a piece of paper and I'd say, rank how important this topic is to you one to 10. 10 being, it's vital, right? One being, eh, whatever. You know, the extroverts a lot of times would put a two or three. And you could have introverts putting a nine or 10. You've never heard from them because they yeah. need to process, right? Yeah. So yeah. knowing enough that you can take over the room or the extroverts can take over the room. Yeah. How do you make you maximize your team to get the most out of all of them? You know, and so I think, you know, those, those were big lessons that I had. But I think, you know, to your point also with, with big personalities, it's, uh, it's also the, the element of I because I love doing reviews and hearing back from people and creating safe environments. And so, you know, I was almost had the opposite effect of they started to trust my judgment so much. Why would we even question it? And I, that hurt me so deeply because I think growth comes from questioning. Growth comes from challenging. Just yes. devil's advocate. Doesn't yeah. mean you believe it. Yeah. But yeah. it was like for them, they're, they're like, but you're right. I'm like, no, there is no right or wrong today. You know, coffee saves me tomorrow kills me. It's like, it's, challenging the status quo and yeah and so when people believe in your leadership they they're not intimidated they're not afraid 
they just don't put any energy into thinking, oh, she could be wrong, right? Yeah. And so it, it's a very dangerous path when you get followers rather than, than I try to surround myself with people going, I don't know, just we'd switch off on devil's advocate. Even if you think I'm right, give me every reason we're wrong. Yeah. So being aware when you're powerful, how you can walk people down roads that you don't even know you're walking them down. I, you, know? you know what? And I really love that point because so many of the guests on the show, so many of the women that I network and spend time with my peers and also my clients, I think that's right. Like not, and not coming from a place of like world domination, but you know, perhaps it, it I mean, big compelling personalities and you're right. We lose perspective. I think we start to miss some innovation. We start to, you know, we're not exploring because, you know, people are just following you and that's awesome. Um, but it, we're, you start to leave ideas and, and, and new directions behind and uh, you leave things on the table that you shouldn't. Um, and I, I love that. We have to be really careful of that as strong, compelling leaders that we're not, um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, just everybody's just coming along with us because they think we're amazing and they want to follow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a compliment with such a, yes, uh, totally. a underpulling outcome. Right. And so one of the things I did after I bought out my business partners and they're both males and they're foreigners, love them to death. They're great partners, but um, I did things way out of the box. Right. And so yeah. one of the things that I, I don't know who taught me, I don't know who said it and I'm sure it was somebody amazing, but you know, the, the, ultimate question is always when you have amazing people do you put them on your biggest we put them on our biggest problems it's yeah. human nature yeah big problem amazing person absolutely wrong answer absolutely across the board you should take your most amazing smart strategy people and put them on the biggest opportunities but in life there's always a fire we're yeah. always putting out fire and so how do you get that team to disconnect and actually focus on opportunity to your point yeah so i actually started something I did all kinds of crazy stuff I'd had I'd created signs I'd hang it on the doors I'm thinking it might blow up if you walk in the door right none of that worked because as long as they were at work people walked through the door which I loved so I started uh and I did it for four years before I sold my company and that's probably why I was the number one technology company in the world according to the people that bought me uh, every third Thursday of the month they came to my house I fed them breakfast and lunch and the day was dedicated to strategy and all we did was work on ideas and all my poor employees back at the office, they were like, Oh my God, it's a Thursday. Oh my God. They're going to come back with all these crazy ideas. Right. <laughs> and I mean, the things that we came up with were so amazing, Lindsay, because I'd break them into groups. We'd work on ideas and it was like, we have plenty of fires. Let's not worry about the fires. Yeah. This is these days dedicated to what could be, where should I we go? That. What could we do different? Yeah. And I really think that the, my success was often based on that. I did that in almost every company after that, that I ran, I created those moments of strategy, dedicated strategy, yeah. not dedicated problems. Love it. Chris, I love it. Uh, moments of dedicated strategy. I like that a lot. Um, I, I, I want it. I mean, you've already sort of, this has been woven through the whole conversation, but you know, one of the last questions I always love to ask my, um, my guests is, you know, what does leadership mean to you? You know, I, um, I have an amazing son, right? He's 26 years old. He's in grad school. He wants to save the world like everyone in that generation. <laughs> yeah. um, 
you know, I, I think it's inbred in them. I'm not sure if it's the water we drank or what it was, but um, I, I think that leadership, I remember he was like a little bit uh, like a uh, Tom Sawyer when I lived in LA, I lived next to a park and I would call my mom and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's just like, he had to clean his room today, mom. And rather than cleaning it, he went out and found 15 kids and recruited them and they all came in the house and they cleaned his room. <laughs> but he was supposed to clean his and, you know, and I remember he was so powerful, my son, in the way that he could inspire people at a very young age. And my mom made a really, it sat with me for many years, right? Because my son was pretty young. She said, said, Chris, there's a lot of amazing leaders out there. Not good, but amazing, right? Because that's, they got people to follow them and believe in right. what they were doing. And she said, Martin Luther King was an amazing leader. And my son was born on Martin Luther King Day, right? He was an amazing leader. And, he, and she said, but Hitler was an amazing leader. Right. Look what he got people to do. Right. And I said, so you're telling me I have a Hitler? And she said, no, the difference is probably the parent, the person who guides them along the way mm-hmm. and shows them the difference of the good wolf versus the bad wolf on your shoulder. I never say the word wolf. So my son now has tattoos of wolves on his shoulder and he blames it on me. <laughs> Which one you feed is the one that will survive. And, and it was that knowing that as a leader, you are so powerful, even if it's not intentional, to be so respectful of that, you know? And so I, I think through my whole life, you know, intermittently, when you can inspire people, the cautionary tale is where are you guiding them? What are you doing? And so I was super lucky that I had an amazing mom that believed in servant leadership. She ended up, she was a lieutenant colonel or a colonel. She was up for being general when she got out wow. and she was a servant. And she's just like, I serve them. They don't serve me. I work for them. They don't work for me. And so I was raised by a very, very introverted and inspirational, selfless mother that showed me the power of leadership is about, it's never about you. It's about helping those around you, empowering those to be the best version of themselves. You are the least important thing. You are simply just a guide. And I think I carried that through my life, right? So I I believe in servant leadership. I believe the triangle is reversed. You know, we work for our employees. Um, and I think if you can keep that and it's true to your heart, it's not just words you say. Yes. It comes through in everything. Yeah. 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 And I think, isn't, uh, you know, isn't that the truth, Chris, is because I've heard servant leadership a lot. And the problem is, is that I'm not sure, first of all, people understand it. And then you're right. There's some of that subset of those people that understand it but absolutely aren't interested in doing it in the right way. Um, they aren't interested. They only are in service of themselves as a leader and, 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 and creating, you know, whether it's wealth or popularity or, or power. Um, and it's when you really truly are in service of the people that report to you, that work for you, um, and you are in the service of making them better and moving them forward, that you are truly a servant leader. And um, I think you articulated that so beautifully. Oh, thank you. I think there's two moments in servant leadership that we struggle with. When I was getting ready to sell my company, even though I didn't know, I always buy anything with the three exit strategies, right? And so because you got to plan ahead. But I hired my COO, who I'm still great friends with, and I brought him in and out of different opportunities. And he was running a very large organization in the Caribbean. He had like 15,000 employees. And I had like 200. But I had taken the company from losing money to being you know, pretty profitable. Yeah. Um, 
but I knew myself, know where you belong in this journey. I'm really good at solving problems, building things, fixing things, yeah, but I'm not your, I'm not your choice for an operational leader, right? You know, so know what you bring to the table, do it better than anybody, but then also be humble enough to step back. So I hired him and I said, here's the deal. If you're still sitting in your office as COO in two years, you're fired. And I'm putting it on my calendar right now. If you're not sitting in my seat. You're fired. Yeah. And uh, he was a little bit shocked and odd. And that's why we're probably still great friends and trust each other. And it was literally two years to that date is the date that I sold my company. And so when I was selling it, they said, oh, but you're a, a smaller company. The company must depend so much on you. And I said, I haven't gone to work in six months. I've been working on something else. And, you know, this other person's running my company. No, no, no. That's what they all say. You know, and I think realizing where you belong and where you're good and not trying to say, how do I let that go? You know, my company is not who I am. My company is not my ego. My company is about getting it as healthy as possible to hand it to the next capable leader that's going to do the next evolution, you know? And I think, you know, we have to know that in ourselves so that we don't overstep our own boundaries, right? That we don't, you know, do what you love. And if you start doing something you don't love, you're not good for them and you're not good for yourself. Um, I think, I think the last thing that my mom taught me, and that's what I did was, you know, and my husband has really struggled with this. And I think a lot of people do. Um, my mom would always say, if you don't put yourself first, number one, in all of the priorities, you can't be good for anybody else. It's like whack-a-mole. You can't make anybody else happy. We can try all day long, but it doesn't work. Yeah. And she's like, but it doesn't have to look selfish or self-centered. No. But if you don't put yourself first, you really can't be great for anybody else. And it was, it's a hard turning moment, right? Because a lot of us are caretakers. A lot of us want to take care of everybody, you know, do the right things for everybody else. And if you leave yourself on the wayside, um, you shrivel up, right? You're not going to be a good leader. You're not going to be a good wife, a good mother, a good anything. No, but it's a very hard transition. It it is. And it's sort of one of the dark sides of that servant leadership is um, it, it makes us uh, great leaders that do serve and support our teams um, in a really meaningful way. But um, if we are not careful, we it is a very slippery slope into self-sacrifice. And that, you're right, it, it's not healthy. Um, we are not able to serve others if we are not feeling you know, empowered and energetic and have our battery full. Um, and I'll tell you, Chris, that's a lot of the women that I work with. They're incredible business owners and CEOs, um, but they spent, they put so much of themselves into their team, into their business, into their clients, putting out those fires you talked about, um, that there's very little left for themselves at the end of the day. Um, and the truth is, it's not sustainable in the long term. Your resilience dips uh, and you just, you can't bounce back. So I love that you highlight that. I think that that is a really important point. You've got to put your mask on first so that you can be of value to your team. You can build your organization. You can be resilient, you can be innovative. Um, those are really, really fantastic points, Chris. Wow. It sounds like we are on the same page. So yeah. We are totally on the same page. And I love that. Well, thank you so much for such an incredible conversation uh, today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and thanks for sharing your incredible journey with us. 
Absolutely. Well, anything I can ever do to help. So, you know, we're all in it together. Wonderful. And Chris, we're going to put some details about how uh, everyone can find you and your incredible uh, retreat on the website, but maybe just tell us right now where we could find you. Uh, you can go to www.rockspringsrc.com. Um, you can also find your way through uh, fitfarm.com. So both of them will lead you there, but it's Rock Springs Retreat Center. Yep. And I have seen the pictures of this Rock Springs Retreat Center, and it is absolutely beautiful. Um, and uh, it looks like a wonderful place to work on your own wellness, your fitness. It looks, it looks brilliant. So Chris, thanks again for, for being part of the Female Founder Friday podcast today. Sure have loved having you here. Absolutely. You have to come see us and visit us at uh, the, the Fit Farm and Rock Springs and we'll take care of you. I would love that. You may regret having said that. To everyone tuning in today, thanks again for listening to the Female Founder Friday podcast. I love Chris's message that as a leader, we need to find those dedicated moments to focus on the strategy and work on our business, not in it. And you can find more about Chris and the Rock Springs Retreat Center on their website, which is rockspringsrc.com. And of course, you can find me on Instagram at High Volt Leadership. The Female Founder Friday podcast has a goal to impact a thousand listeners. And it would mean the world to me if you left this episode a five-star review and shared it with all of your friends. Let's engage a thousand female entrepreneurs and really amplify the message. Thanks again for being a part of the show. And don't forget to connect with me at highvoltageleadership.ca.